Amen. And thank you, worship team and, uh, and our band. Uh, you know, as, as we find ourselves on, uh, on Veterans Day weekend, um, I think it's only appropriate. You know, we're only able to do what we're doing here today. I've, I've traveled to several different countries in the world doing missions work, and, uh, and not all of them. As a matter of fact, um, few of them are able to do what, what we're able to do uh, on a Sunday morning, and that is come together uh, and worship. And, you know, regardless of, uh, regardless of how things in your world turned out this week, I believe we live in the greatest country on planet Earth. Uh, and, and I love America, and America is what it is, a lot of it because of the men and women who have served our country and who are currently serving our country. So if you're here today uh, and you are a veteran or if you have served in the armed services at all, would you just stand so as a church we can just say thank you? Do we have any former military in here? And uh, I, I want you to know from, from the bottom of my heart, uh, and I think I speak for our church when I say this, thank you for the time that you put in serving our country. I got a, uh, I got a Facebook message yesterday from a for, former student of mine uh, who's in Afghanistan currently serving. Uh, and he said, Christian, I got engaged right before I left. I'm back in Afghanistan now for six months, but I'll be back. Will you, uh, will you marry my fiance and I when we're back home? Uh, and pray for us because about two more weeks where I'll have interaction back home and, and then I'll be dark for several months. So uh, not only do I want to pray for Brad, but I thought it would uh, it'd be good if we just paused right now. We have men and women stationed all over the world, uh, some with a flag on their arms, some that are so covert, uh, nobody even knows they're representing our country, but they're in harm's way. Their husbands and their wives and their kids and their parents and their families are at home. So can we just stop and, and pray for our great military men and women before we go any further in our service? God, we come to you today in Jesus' name. And we thank you for this great country. And we thank you for the men and the women and the families who have sacrificed so much, uh, Lord, to make our country what it is. And God, we just pray right now for the young men and the young women uh, and the older men and the older women who are serving literally on every, uh, on every continent on planet Earth. Probably uh, they're in every ocean represented on, on our continent. Uh, and Lord, uh, they are... Um, Lord, they're out there on our behalf because they believe in who we are. They believe in the freedoms that we have. Um, they're the ones who give us the ability to go vote like we did on Tuesday, who give us the ability to gather and worship like we do on Sunday. So protect them today. God, I pray that you'll bless them today. I pray for family that is behind while they're overseas uh, doing their duty. And I just pray that you'll comfort them today. And Lord, for every man and woman uh, who has lost their life in service to this great country, Lord, we say thank you. May we, uh, may we learn what it is to sacrifice for a greater cause by watching those who have gone before us. We love you. We pray your anointing on all the men and women in the United States Armed Forces today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You know, we, uh, we are at a journey, a spiritual journey at our church, uh, pun intended. That's, that's why we named our church what we did because we believe that, that everyone, no one is where they need to be. Everyone is just trying to figure out how to get a little closer to that. One of my favorite spiritual quotes of all time came from Pastor Rick Warren, uh, who said, you may not be where you want to be spiritually, but as long as you're not where you used to be, you're headed in the right direction. And I don't know that everyone in here is where we want to be spiritually, but as long as we're not where we used to be spiritually, 
we're headed in the right direction. And as a church, that is, that is our goal. That's actually our mission statement, that we'll all head in the right direction together. Our mission statement as a church is to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world, to go from where they are to meet Jesus, to develop a relationship with him, and then through that relationship to bless the world in a wonderful way. And we, we've seen a lot of that happen at our church. And when we gather on Sunday mornings like we have for the last 14 months, uh, we get together and we talk about things here that the Bible says will improve our life and allow us to be closer to God, allow us to be more passionate spiritually, allow us to have more impact in the world. We've talked about parenting. We've talked about marriage. Uh, we've talked about uh, just bad habits in our life that we need to get rid of. And we've talked about starting good habits. As a church, we look deep into the Bible for areas in our life. We talk about morality. Uh, we, we talk about helping those in need. We're trying to figure out as a group of people together how we can come together, make this the uh, kind of the guidebook of our life and how we can live better for Jesus to make more impact in the world uh, as we go along. And one of the areas that the Bible talks about that we've been talking about the last two weeks, um, but that is sometimes difficult to talk about in a church settings because of past experiences people have, have had, is what the Bible says about finances, what the Bible says about economics. Uh, the last two weeks, today and next week, we're in a series that we're calling Biblical Economics. What does the Bible say about finances? What does the Bible say about how to manage your finances? And here's the out that I have given our church. If you're a first-time guest today or you're newer to our church, here's the freedom that I want you to have. Our church doesn't need your money. This series is not, is not in any way tilted or slanted to try to manipulate our church to give more, to give less, to give more frequently. This series is not really about our church. This series is about our people. As we look at the prayer request, you all know that the number one cause of divorce in our country, and if there's a marriage problem in our country, the marriage problem in our country is divorce first and foremost, because 54% of people that get married end up not staying married. And some of you have found yourself in terrible situations, and some of you are on wonderful second marriages or third marriages, and God gives incredible, incredible grace. But the number one cause, the number one reason marriages fall apart is because of financial conflict. The number one reason that, uh, that adults over the age of 40 are taking their life is financial stress. If you look at the world around you and you think about the conflict or the stress that you're having, so much of it is financial. And as a church, if we say, you know, we don't want to talk about money because that will offend people and make people think that all we care about is money, uh, we're not doing our duty to help marriages to help mental health, to help emotional health. Uh, we're not doing our duty to tell you what the Bible says about how you can be blessed when you understand biblical economics. So what we've been doing the last few weeks is just talking about what the Bible says about money. Uh, and, and we don't want that to offend anyone. The, the, the deal we have made is sit back, listen, learn, don't feel obligated in any way to do anything more than you're doing. If you're brand new, don't feel obligated in any way. Um, to do anything and we have even put at the end of our emails this month we're talking about finances don't invite your friends because most people think all churches want is their money they don't want to hear about that so this is kind of a bad month to invite a friend for the first time so if you're here for the very first time we're sorry and we won't be talking about money forever and ever and ever but today we are and this is the part of the series this week and next week that we're going to talk about giving what the bible says about giving about giving and receiving uh, about what our duty is. The first few weeks of this series, we've stayed real high level. 
What does the Bible say about our attitudes towards money? And we've talked about things like stewardship, taking responsibility. We've talked about words like gratitude. We've talked about words like contentment. We've talked about words like generosity. Last week, we looked at Joseph, and we said Joseph's perfect plan for the finances of Egypt was plenty of margin. Don't spend everything you get, because you probably won't make everything that you make now. Have a good budget. Make sure you save some for when there is a a rainy day, no pun intended. Uh, Make sure you're giving some. But I had someone come up to me after the very first week of the series. I've never had this happen. A woman in our church uh, who's, who's not here today, and if she, even if she was here, I asked her permission to, to share this story. She came up to me after the very first week, um, and, and she's pretty new to the faith. And here's the question she asked me. Christian, how much am I supposed to give spiritually? So like, what do you mean? She said, just, like, just cut through the stuff. Like, I've just given my life to Jesus. I want to do what the Bible says. So how much does the Bible tell me to give? Just, just like lay it out there, man. Like, how much? And I said, in two weeks, I'll, I'll get to that. That's, you know, that's not really the heart of the question. She was frustrated because all she wanted to know is, I'm a Christian now, I want to do what the Bible says, so like, just tell me what the Bible says and I'll figure out if I can do that or not. Today, I'm to the point where I'm ready to tell you what the Bible says and to let you figure out how, as a Christian, you can begin to shape your life to how the Bible says you ought to shape your life. There's a tremendous verse uh, in scripture that I want to share with you in a minute, but, but let me share with you a few wrong views of giving Because I've heard not just people but but churches say this uh, when you say Christian how much uh, how much am I supposed to give? There are some churches that have what I would call poverty theology and a poverty theology says this as a Christian Your responsibility is to give everything away. You don't need anything um, You can all take a deep breath because that's not what <laughs> that's not what we believe for the guy that in the back row that just said we need to find a new church that that's not that's not how we're moving um, in our finances. Why? Because our church, I believe that poverty theology is not biblical. Um, there's, a, there's a few really neat verses in the book of Acts where some people felt led to give some of what they had to help somebody else. But nowhere in the Bible does, does the Bible say that you ought to give everything away that you have and you ought to live on nothing. So we don't believe in what I would call poverty theology, nor do we believe in what I would call prosperity theology. And you might, you might hear some guys on TV or on the radio, or maybe you've been to church, that preaches prosperity theology. Prosperity theology says God wants me to be rich. Uh, God wants me to make a lot, to spend a lot, and to give a lot. And you'll hear, a, a, you'll hear churches say that. God wants you to be rich. I heard a pastor say, God wants you to drive a Rolls Royce. Um, you know, God wants you to wear a Rolex. Listen, I don't think God really cares what you drive. If you have money within the course of your life to buy a Rolls Royce and a Rolex, God bless you. But that shouldn't be your spiritual goal because if you look at Scripture, we would say that prosperity theology is not biblical. The Bible doesn't say make as much as you can, spend as much as you can, give as much as you can. You say, well, what does the Bible say? I'm glad you asked. If you have a Bible, I'm, asking, I'm going to ask you to turn to, to the book of Micah. Micah is going to be a difficult one to find because he's in the minor prophets. There's 12 books in the Bible that are called minor prophets, not because their message wasn't important, but because the books are kind of short. Our ushers are going to come down the aisle right now. We love to open the Bible, read the Bible, learn the Bible. As I'm going to say today, we're going to base everything we do on the Bible. If you forgot your Bible, if you don't have your Bible, wave at an usher. They'll give you one. You can keep this for today just to follow along. Uh, If you don't know where your Bible is, put your name in this one. This one's yours. You can have it. We've given away more than 300 Bibles since we've started because we believe if you have nothing but a copy of God's Word to, uh, to know God, that you can get to know God that way. Uh, by the way, for those of you who are brand new and you hear me say books of the Bible and you're not quite sure where those are, in the front of every Bible, for those of you who are pretty new spiritually, there's going to be a table of contents. 
And if you look at the table of contents, go down to the very end of the Old Testament, you'll see all these, what we, what we call the shorter prophecy books, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And sometimes, don't feel ashamed, you just go and you say, okay, Micah is on page 1006, and you just read it like a book, because not everyone, probably very, very few people, have all the books of the Bible memorized. But in, in Micah chapter 6, um, Micah makes an interesting comment that Christians need to be aware of. Uh, because at the end of the day, God is God. And at the end of the day, there are some things that, um, that God requires. You know that the Bible is, is not a list of suggestions. Um, it's, it's a list of what God says is, is best. These are best practices spiritually. And I love the way that Micah says it, because in Micah 6.8, he uses um, a good word. And he says this, He has shown you, because Israel's trying to figure out, like, what do we need to do to get the Lord's blessings? And Micah says, he has shown you, O mortal, which means man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Underline the part of that verse right there. Every Christian should be asking the question that this lady asked me two weeks ago. What does God want me to do? This isn't about my finances. This isn't about my budget. This isn't about what the church needs. This isn't about what bills the church has. What does God want me to do? I continually find myself asking that question as a Christian. What does God want me to do? What does the Lord require of you? And then he goes on to say to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. You know, I, I gave that verse to, to say this. As you talk about giving, it's important to have a biblical theology. And a biblical theology asks this question. What does God say? Not what does a preacher say. Not what does my denomination say. Not what have my parents taught me. Not how much do I have. The question that you should ask anytime I teach anything, you should be wondering, Christian, does the Bible say that or do you say that? So biblical theology is trying to figure out what the Bible says. And I'm going I'm to start big, and then today we're just going to work on heart. Okay, so I'm going to start big financially, and then we're just going to work on heart. And then next week, we're going to dig in a little more to the nuts and bolts of biblical giving. Uh, but biblical theology says this. I'm going to say a word that some of you have never heard before in your life. Biblical theology says when it comes to giving, that the, what does the Lord require? It says to give God a tithe. Now, that's a very odd word if, if you look at that on the screen. Some of you, if you've seen that word, you would say tith or t- a tithe or, you know, tith. Uh, I heard someone ask one time when they saw this word, what, what is a tith? And I said, I, I don't understand. Like, I'm supposed to give God a tith. What is a tith? The word is tithe. That's... Time and again, and I'm going to show you, the Bible says the Lord's requirement, not just his suggestion, his requirement is is a tithe. Now, the word tithe, it's a mathematical term. Um, It's a word like fraction. Uh, The word tithe means tenth. That's what it means. Before you all freak out, hang with me through the end of not only today, but of next week. Because we're going to talk about how, as Christians... We see what the Bible says, we see what God requires, and then we, we shape our life to meet that. Um, we would say at our church that tithing is consistent with biblical theology. That if someone said, hey, you know, uh, I heard that, uh, that, that good giving, good generosity, what God requires is, is 10%. Christian, is that what the Bible says? I would say yes, that's what the Bible says. If someone said, Christian, somebody told me that if I really love God, I need to sell everything and give it all away um, and like just live in poverty. Is that what the Bible says? I would say, that's not what the Bible says. If someone said, hey, Christian, my pastor said that uh, rich people need to give a lot, 
that people who don't have as much don't need to give as much, but that God wants all of us to be rich so we can have a lot and give a lot. Is that what the Bible says? I would say, that's not what the Bible says. But if someone said, Christian, I heard the word tithe, tithe, and some, the, a preacher said that that's, what God, that's how God wants me to arrange my life when it comes to giving, is that what the Bible says? I would say yes, and I'm going to show you that today. But, but here's, here's my job. Um, you know, the, the Bible, uh, my, my role, like I, I have some people, not a lot of people in this church, but I have some people that will call me pastor instead of my name. Uh, the word pastor is a word that means shepherd. That's, that's what pastor means, shepherd. And my role is, as a shepherd is to figure out how to get God's people, which the, the Bible calls a church a flock, um, is to figure out how to tenderly and carefully um, move the flock to where they're going to be in the best position to have good nourishment, to be taken care of, to, to be away from danger, to be away from harm. So my, my job as, as your pastor, as the pastor of this church today that you're sitting in, is, is to get you to the greenest pastures possible in your life where there's not a lot of dangerous wildlife, someplace that's fenced in, walled in if I can, so I can give you the best spiritual nourishment that you possibly need. Now, if you don't want to be a part of that flock and you want to run away, that every sheep has the, the, the opportunity, if they want, to run away. But my job is to gently lead you to green pastures and you can choose whether or not to eat. So the choice is still yours. I'm going to teach you what the Bible says. You're going to have to figure out in your heart and mind how or if you're going to craft your life to what the Bible says in terms of giving. Um, today, I want to talk to your heart, not your wallet. All right? So put the numbers away, put the calculations away, put the calculators away, you know, get off the phone app that's calculator. You're trying to figure out, you know, how much is that? Oh, dear God, that's, you know, I mean, don't, don't do any of that right now. Just listen with your heart today because I want to show you, say, how does anyone ever get to the point where they'd be willing to give God a tithe? How does that work, Christian? I, I want to talk to you today about what I would call the biblical mindset and the heart of a tither. Because if you, if you don't get your heart here, you'll never get your finances where God wants them to be. So I want to show you today what the heart of a tither looks like. Um, now listen, uh, some of you need to write this down because this is good. Uh, you know, I mean, when God gave this to me last night, I thought, God, that's good. Before you can give like God wants you to give, you have to learn to receive like God wants you to receive. And the reason many of us are broken in our view of giving is because we're broken in our view of receiving. You say, what do you, what do you mean by that, Christian? I mean this. People who tithe, people who arrange their life according to this standard of biblical finances believe this. Here's how they receive. Number one, they believe that everything in their life has been given to them by God. See, if you don't believe that, if you don't receive that, that I am truly blessed of God, and everything I have, God has, God has a hand in what he has given me. If you don't believe that, then it'd be very difficult, unless you're just kind of independent, independently wealthy, to get to a point where you could set aside a whole lot for God. You have to learn to receive before you're able to give. And the attitude of receiving is everything I have, God has given me. You say, Christian, man, that, that's tough. Well, look what the Bible says, okay? James 1.17. James says, every good and perfect gift, everything that you have that's good and perfect is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. 
James says the first really heart attitude, before you can give, you need to learn to receive. And you need to learn to receive this way. Everything that I have, God has given me. This is James, who's the, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, I read something interesting as I studied this text, that, and I have, I have memorized the book of James. I bet I have preached the book of James more than any other book in the Bible, and I learned something this week that I have never learned before. In James 1.17, when it says that everything comes down from the Father of heavenly lights, Father of heavenly lights was a term used for more than 4,000 years in Judaism to basically give, um, give credence to the Creator. Father of heavenly lights meant this. That they, you know, some people worship the sun, some people worship the moon, some people worship the stars. In Judaism, they said, we worship the creator of all those lights. And, and they were basically admitting this. Just by using this phrase, father of heavenly lights, they're saying, God is the creator, he's given us everything. So some of us, before we can even learn to give, we've got to learn to receive. And, and we have to believe what the Bible says, that everything has been given to us by God. Look at Deuteronomy 8, verses 17 through 18. You may say to yourself... You may say to yourself, when you look at your wealth, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so he confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Listen, God's not stupid. God said, I know there's going to be a lot of you who think, wait a minute, I made this money. God says, don't think that. Because I gave you the ability. I put you in the positions. I allowed you to be born into the country and into the family. I allowed your mind to be shaped a certain way. I allowed you to go to school and to get hired. And God said, I, I've positioned your life to do this. In Job 41, 11, um, it's interesting because Job and his friends were kind of talking about what God owed them and what they could give God. Uh, and there was this thought that, you know, in Job 41, 11, there was this thought that if we can give God enough, like he'll just get off our back. Remember, remember Micah said, here's what God requires of you, not just to give, but to act justly, to live righteously. In Job, there was this thought from his friends that, you know, like if we just come to church and give enough in the offering, we don't have to do anything else spiritually. And God said in Job 41, 11, he's like, listen, I don't need your offering. Who has a claim against me that I must pay, God says. Everything under heaven belongs to me. God's like, I don't need you to give. I don't need your money, but I appreciate your recognition that what you have has come from me. That's what God is saying in Job 41.11. I don't want your money, but I do desire your recognition that what you have, I have blessed you with. In, in 1 Chronicles 29... There was a, a little poor kid in Israel who was a real shepherd, not a pastor, but a real shepherd. His name was David. And we find out that David is not from any kind of holy tribe. David is not any kind of special person except that God put his anointing on David, um, a poor kid from a poor family, from a poor section of town. You say, how poor was David? When David met a girl that wanted to marry him, David said, I don't have enough money to pay your dad a dowry. I, I can't marry you. I mean, David like literally had his girl propose to him, and he said, no, because I can't afford it. Listen, guys, if, if you're fortunate enough to have a girl propose to you, you better say yes, because that might be like the last one that ever comes along. David, she was like, will you marry me? And David said, no, like I can't afford to get married. And then we find him in 1 Chronicles 29, and he is the king of Israel. He's the wealthiest man in Israel, and God has just blessed him that his tribe is going to become 
the tribe that the Messiah, Jesus, will one day be born in to bless the world. And here's what David says, his recognition that God gave him what he had. In 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 14, I love this prayer. It's one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. David says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. He says, not mine, it's yours. You are exalted overhead, as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You're the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. But I love this in verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Because everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. David said, we've given you nothing. Really, all we've done is give back. Because we only have to give what you have given us. All we're doing is we're, we're just, we're giving, we're giving back. You know, you cannot develop a lifelong habit of, of what the Bible would say becoming a tither unless your mind flips to believing that everything you have, God has given you. But, but when like David, when you believe this like David, it changes you. It changes your perspective. It changes your view of what you have. It changes your relationship with God. And giving becomes simply nothing more than, number two, a recognition and response to what God has given you. Giving for the person that develops the mindset that everything I have is given to me by God. And I'll tell you what will help you develop this mindset. Go to a third world country and serve for a week. Go someplace where there is no fresh water to drink and they tell you. Have you ever taken a shower uh, in a place where they told you, like while you're in the shower, make sure you don't get any water in your eyes, in your nose, or in your mouth because it carries typhoid fever? Have you ever tried to hold your breath taking a shower? I had to do that for a week in India and like you're afraid like you almost pass out. You like put shampoo in your hair and then you're like... And you're trying to, you know, you, you can't even take a shower. Have you been to a place where they said, when you brush your teeth, it would be better for you to put, if you have a carbonated beverage or a bottle of water, just use that water. Don't use what's in the sink. Don't put it on your toothbrush. You see, we, not only do we look at the financial blessings that come as a result of our job, we just kind of think everyone in the world has fresh water. Like the true Christian, when they brush their teeth, would say, Lord, thank you for water that's not going to kill me. Lord, thank you for a toilet that flushes. I mean, a tr- if you really want to learn how to recognize what God wants you rec- to recognize, go somewhere where they just don't have all that we have. Because we have a lot. We, we've been extremely blessed. But God says in Scripture that our recognizing and responding to this fact that everything we have has come from God is, is very important to Him. Let me ask you this. Have you ever given someone a gift and not had them say thank you or not appreciate it or not mention it? or not like it, and you realize how much it hurts you, not, you know, not that they're giving you anything back of value, but the fact that they failed to recognize what you gave them, it, it kind of hurts. You know, a, a, a few years ago, and I'm going to be very delicate as I tell this story because of all the people in our auditorium today, but um, a few years ago when my kids were really, really young, um, Danielle and I had a Christmas where... Uh, Santa Claus was the only person that brought our kids gifts. Um, Danielle and I, I guess as parents, we just forgot that Christmas to buy our kids gifts. So everything under the tree was from Santa to Christian to Casey um, from Santa. 
And then we watched our kids tear through those presents, and it was so fun, and we got to the end. And I remember I asked my kids, I was like, aren't you going to say thanks? And they looked at me and said, for what? You didn't buy it. And I thought, you know what? I hate Santa. <laughs> I mean, that, that was my thought at that moment. And I told Danielle, next year, when we write the North Pole, um, we're going to tell Santa, Santa, next year we want you to bring our kids just two or three gifts. We'll do the rest. Because there, there was something missing about watching my kids enjoy what was given to them with zero recognition that some of it had come from me. It hurt my feelings. And I think about how many times that God looks down on our life and says, stupid Santa, you know, we're giving credit to a boss or a company, um, to a raise, to a degree, to heart, you know. We're giving, we're giving praise and credit to like everyone but God. I think it hurts the, the heart of God. You know, tithing shows, when we talk about people who, who develop this understanding and then this habit in their life, tithing shows three things. Uh, first, it shows gratitude. It's intended to show gratitude. You say, why, you know, why does God want so much of, of my money? Well, it shows gratitude, according to Scripture. In Deuteronomy 14.23, uh, in the New Living Translation, here's what God commanded the Israelites. Bring this tithe. You circle that word tithe there. It's probably not on your sermon. But write it down. You're going to find this all over the Bible. Bring this tithe, which means tenth, to the designated place of worship, the place where Lord God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in God's presence. Why? Here's why we give the tithe. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, the firstborn males, your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you to always fear the Lord your God. See, giving teaches you to always remember that it comes from God. So tithing is, is an act of gratitude. Um, let me ask you a question. Many of you will give in the offering today. And, and I want to say this. If you were to say to me, Christian, who are the most generous people in our church? The most generous people in our church are people who have never heard this word and they give anyway. They have no, literally, zero spiritual understanding that they're supposed to give and they give anyway. Those are the most generous people in our church because they're just giving because, like, their heart is so generous. I mean, if you give $2, like, to give away $2 of your money without knowing that you're supposed to, just that you're like a really good person. But why are you giving today? Some of you are going to give because you know we're going to give some to India, to Africa. You're giving because of what you believe in. Some of you are giving because you look around and you think this place probably needs money. Some of you are giving because, you know, you feel blessed. But see, when we tithe... It's always this attitude that everything I have, because you're basing, you're giving off 100%. Everything I have has been given to me by God. So it's a, it's a, tremendous, um, it's a tremendous reminder of gratitude. Uh, some people today will consider what they're giving as giving away. When you tithe, you give back. Do you understand that, you know, I'm, giving my, I'm not giving my money away. I'm giving God's money that he's given me like a bunch of it. I'm giving some of it back just to say thank you. In Psalm 50, 9 through 11, God says again, in several places in Scripture, God says, like, I don't need your money, but I want you to recognize how much I've blessed you. God says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens. Those were kind of the offerings in the old days. They didn't deal in paper and coins, you know, but in resources. Uh, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. I know every bird on the mountains. I know the insects in the field are mine. God's like, I don't need your stuff because it's mine. But when you freely give it, it reminds me that you 
See how blessed that you are. So we give because of gratitude. We tithe because of obedience. And, and listen, God is not greedy, but he's God. And when God says do something, um, most of us are like a first or second grader. We say why. But we're explaining that today. You know, God's not greedy, but he is God. When he says do something, what does the Lord require? This is what I want to do. So a lot of us give out of obedience. Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require? What did God say to do? Okay, I'm, I'm going to do that. Leviticus 27, verses 30 through 32. A tithe of everything from the land, whether the grain of the soil, the fruit of the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. That, that's a difficult thing. That basically means if you, um, if you sell a cow for $10, uh, you have to add a fifth. Instead of just giving the cow... You have to add a fifth. Why? To make sure you're not just passing off bad animals to a friend and then giving God less, what you de- less than what you deserve. If you're wondering, why, like, why do you have to add to it? Uh, every tithe of the herd and the flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will, will be holy to the Lord. Numbers 18, 24. Um, God said, I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. Uh, you know, a lot of you, if you're good businessmen, but you're new to, new to church, are probably thinking, or maybe you've been thinking your whole life as you drive, like how do, like how do churches fund their ministries? For 4,000 years, this is how ministry has been done business-wise. People hear God's standard for them. They find a ministry that they trust, giving their 10% to, and they get behind it, and that's, that's kind of how churches, and that's why in the New Testament it says you need to have, uh, you know, uh, many leaders. You need to have tremendous accountability. You need to have great transparency in your finances. But you give to some place you trust that where you believe they're going to do great ministry with your money. That, this is how churches have, you know, if you want to, like, how do the churches operate? This is how. There are people who believe and follow this standard of giving, and then churches take it, they're wise stewards, and they move forward doing ministry with it. Deuteronomy 12, 5 and 6 says, You are to seek, uh, but you are to seek the place of the Lord your God, will choose from, from all your tribes, to put his name there for his dwelling, so find out where God is, and then to that place you must go. Uh, there bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and your special gifts, which you have vowed to give in your free will offerings in the firstborn of your herds and flocks. Um, you say, okay, that's all Old Testament. What did Jesus say? Matthew 23, 23. I'm glad you asked. Jesus, when he was fighting with the Pharisees who, who kept every letter of the Old Testament law, so like they gave 10%, but they didn't help hurting people, so they gave, but they wouldn't serve. They gave, but they wouldn't read their Bibles. He's like, you know, you're just following the letter of the law, but you don't, your hearts prove that you don't love God. Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and your Pharisees. You're, you're hypocrites. You give a tenth. That's good. You're tithing. Mint, dill, cumin. Those are all like spices and stuff. But he said, you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. God's like, yes. Jesus says, yes, you tithe. But you also serve the needy and you help the poor. And you, you connect yourself to a place that's going to do ministry of justice and mercy um, and, and helping, you, you don't just give money and then forget about the rest. You've you got to do both. In Hebrews 7, 5, we see the author of Hebrews talking about the diligence of the Old Testament saints. The law requires that the descendants of Levi's who become priests collect a tenth from the people, that is, their fellow Israelites, even though they also descended from Abraham. And then Jesus in Matthew 5 said, listen, I'm not trying to rewrite the Old Testament. I'm here to take you to the next level. He says, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish him, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So a part of giving is just obedience. Well, you know, if you ask some people in our church, why do you give? Some would say gratitude. 
Someone, some would say, because God tells me to. I just I want to be obedient to God. Uh, for others, it's, it's just a trust issue. It is a, you know, tithing, giving 10%, which is a large portion of an adult's budget, um, is a big step saying, God, like I really trust you with my money. To give you this much, God, I really, I'm trusting you to take care of me. That's where Malachi 3.10 comes in. God's talking about trust. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be enough room to store it. God says, try me. Try me. You give what I tell you to give and see if you'll ever, if you'll ever go needy. I'll help you. You bless me, I'll, I'll help you. In 1 John five twenty four, John says, here's how we know uh, that we love. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Uh, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. That doesn't mean his commands aren't hard. That means that burdensome word would be a, an overly heavy task laid on a slave by a master. Here's what John is saying. Sometimes God's commands are really hard, but they're not unfair. Might be really difficult, but, it, but it's not unfair. And, you know, if, if you want a picture, you say, well, sh- you know, show me a picture of gratitude and obedience and trust. Uh, Christian, show me a picture of someone who, who does this. They, they tithe. Um, even though everything in their life isn't taken care of first. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a picture of what our church is trying to do. Uh, you go to a church that's 14 months old. You go to a church that currently is taking the first 12% of its budget and putting it in missions and giving it all away to serve people. And most of you have said thank you for that. And most of you have said, I love our church because of how we give. Now, maybe some of you have mistaken our generosity and our giving for the church just have, has tons and tons of money. You know, in January of next year, we'll do an event called Momentum, and we'll roll out our 2012 budget, and we'll show you how much came in and where it all went. But here's what you'll learn at, at that event. We have not arrived financially as a church. Our church doesn't pay the vast majority of our staff. Uh, our, our church, and, and I mean, I've had an incredible group of people that have helped me do this, but has never paid me a penny of what has ever come in in an offering since the very first offering we took in January of 2011. Pastor Ryan Holt, who's taken a weekend away with his wife because it was her birthday this week, we pay him, you know, maybe like 12% of his salary comes from the church. He raises the rest outside. Uh, One day we want to buy land and have a building or maybe buy a building. We're talking to realtors and landowners and empty buildings and churches. I mean, all over the city all the time. We've not arrived yet. And as a matter of fact, our, our finance team sent me our, our kind of October end statement. And as of October, through the first 10 months of the year, I, I think what the church gives has met about or 70% of the need and about 30% of what makes our church run has come in from people that don't go to our church. And every now and then I'll think, maybe we should quit giving so much or we're never going to get on our feet as a church. Like, we've given away $65,000 since our church has started. Like, that, that's like a couple staff members. That's a good down payment on a piece of land. That's, that's good for a bank to see sitting in your bank account if you ever need to get a loan for a building. And we have given that. Why? Because of gratitude. We believe everything our church has been given, even this, the shortage that we have currently has been given to us by God. Obedience, because, listen, listen to this. In 1 Corinthians 4, 2, God says a person who's in charge as a manager has to be faithful. In this church, that, that's me. I have to be faithful with what comes into our church and accountable to our finance team. 
And here's what I found in Numbers 18, 25 through 29. This is why I'm so passionate about this as a pastor. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe that I give you as an inheritance. So when the people give their tithe, um, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. So a church has to take what it gives and the church has to give the first 10% away. I'll be very honest. After I read this, in verse 27, your offering will be reckoned to you as grain from the threshing floor, juice from the winepress. In this way, you'll also present an offering to the Lord from all the tithes you receive from the Israelites. From these tithes, you must give the Lord's portion to Aaron the priest. You must present as the Lord's portion the best and holiest part of everything you give. I would struggle as a Christian to give 10% of my money to a church that did not give 10% away because I would say, you're telling me to tithe, but you're not being obedient to Numbers 18. Because the church says, if I tithe, you should tithe. You can't ask me to do one if you're not going to give anything away. But it's hard. Um, and, and I ask, I mean, I, you can ask the members of our finance team if you know them. I'll call them up every now and then and say, like, are we giving too much money away? Like, how are we ever going to get a building? How are we ever going to get land? Like, am I ever going to get paid? You know, I mean, I ask those questions just so you know. I, I'm just like you. Forgive me for those fleshly moments. Um, it's like, you know, sh- like, should we save a little bit? Like, that's a lot of money. Um, and it's like, this is what we've committed to because of gratitude and obedience and trust. And I was having a difficult conversation with myself this week because I thought, Lord, I know you've called us to build a church. I know we can't meet in a school forever. I know our setup te- and teared out team is tired. I know there are days they just get soaking wet working. Like, God, we, we, I know we need to get some land or a building sooner than later. God, you know, should we give away so much? And God spoke to me about both Abraham and Jacob because God told Abraham, one day I'm going to give you land. You're going to have people. You know, God kind of called Abraham to build a country, not a church. But Abraham, God said, go do all this stuff. But in Abraham in Genesis 14 and Jacob in Genesis 28, before anything was established, before they had their land or buildings or people, we see both of them giving a tenth to God just to say, I trust you and I thank you. So listen, we are like, we're smoking what we're selling. Yeah, I mean, you get it? It's like, I'm not asking you to do something that we're not doing as your church. If you don't understand that reference, God bless you. I hope that you never do. <laughs> but if you go to public school, you, you, get, you, you get it. Um, we're doing what we ask you to do. Or at least we're trying to do what we ask you to do. Why is that? Because here's what we believe as a church. Here's what we believe as a church. Number three, 90% with the additional blessing that God promises to our life is better than 100% of my finances on my own. See, 90% with obedience, gratitude, and trust is better than 100%. Now, sometimes that math doesn't work out. And those are the days that I call our finance team and say, what are we doing? And they say, relax. Just keep obeying God, Christian. That's why people are here, because our church trusts, and we're we're trying to make a difference. But I call this, let me make this real sim- simple for you. Um, I call this alleyway theology. Say, so what is alleyway theology? Here, here's, the, here's the scenario I present to you. You're, uh, you're going down a dark alley, 3 a.m., Chicago, Detroit, New York City, maybe, maybe someplace you're not familiar with, and you've got 10 $1 bills in your back pocket. And you can kind of see people hanging out in this alley back and forth. And God says, listen, give me a dollar, and I will protect you all the way to the end of the alley. I promise nothing will happen to you. Would at that moment, $9 in your pocket be worth the protection of a holy God? Or would you say, you know what? I'm going to keep my 10 bucks and hope for the best. 
That's what, that's what I call alleyway theology. 90% with God is safer than 100% without this blessing in his life. You know, Danielle and I uh, are Simon Cowell fans. We used to watch American Idol. Now we watch The X Factor. Uh, do any of you know what that is? He's, uh, he's a really mean British guy who yells at people who try to sing. Um, but it's interesting, this X Factor, because I was watching this the other day, and God reminded me of what I call the Noah Factor. You need to write this down. Because someone who has the mindset of a tither will, will have the mindset of the Noah factor. You say, what is the Noah factor? Um, well, let me ask you this question. How many um, of every animal did Noah take on the ark? The answer is? The answer is not two. He took two of everything that he wouldn't have to present as an offering. But here's what God told him about the offering. Because the Noah factor is this. God gives you everything you need plus enough for a tithe. God gives you everything you're going to need plus enough to tithe. Here's what God said in Genesis 7, 2 and 3. Take with you seven pairs. Seven times two math teachers, how many? So there were a lot of animals that Noah took 14 of on the ark. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate. Also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive through the earth. Why, Why did Noah do that? Because the sacrifices to God... The offering that Noah was going to have to present was going to be clean animals and birds. And God said, I'm not going to ask you to survive on less than you need, so I'm going to give you extra. Because I'm going to ask you to give, I'm going to give you extra. So you can give the extra, not what you absolutely need to survive. See, God's a, he's a pretty good God, right? And he knows the math and he does the math for us. If you don't have this mindset, it's impossible to, to tithe. But when you do it, it changes you. You also have what I believe the Bible calls the me factor. So we have the Noah factor, and then we have the me factor. What is the me factor? The me factor says this, I'm only responsible to give in proportion to what I have. Like if I make $100, I give 10 God doesn't ask me and the guy, uh, if I make 10000 and and he makes 20000 God asks us not to give the same amount but the same percentage, because God is, he's, he's fair. And here's what the Apostle Paul said this when he reminded the people in 2 Corinthians, listen, you, only, you can only know what you're supposed to give, and you can only be responsible for your giving. For if the willingness is there, I want to give, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not, in, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be uh, relieved while you're hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. So everyone gives the same thing. 10% according to biblical uh, theology, biblical finances. And this is, this is good. Uh, this morning I was getting ready in my bathroom and Casey came up. Uh, and if you've ever met my daughter Casey, she just, I mean, like she just talks nonstop. So, so I, sometimes I try to hide from her on Sunday mornings because I'm, I'm going over stuff in my head and she just, I mean, she wants to talk to me about the Disney Channel and Wreck-It Ralph and American Girl dolls. And I'm like, you know, Casey, like I'm not even listening to you right now. I'm very sorry, but just... You know, wait till after church. So, uh, you know, I'm in the bathroom getting ready. And here comes Casey. And I thought, oh, boy, here we go. Um, and I'm ironing my shirt. And Casey, she's sitting there combing her hair. Says, so, Dad, what are you preaching about today? And I started teaching, you know, telling her, well, I'm preaching about, you know, about the attitude of people who give and, and how their heart has to be in order to give. So, well, like, what do you mean, Dad? So I just kind of started walking her through my message. And she goes, okay. And she disappeared downstairs. And I finished getting ready, 
And I went downstairs, and she was at the table, and she had brought out her, like her, I call it a piggy bank, but it's not a pig. It's like her, she has a jar of coins that she has in her room. And she says, Dad, I want to give all this to the church. And I said, Casey, why do you, like, why do you want to do it? Well, Dad, I know you're talking about giving, and, you know, like, I, you know, I, I want to be obedient, and I believe God has blessed me, so I want to give God all this. And I said, Casey, you don't have to give God all that. God doesn't want all your coins. Uh, remember, it's just that 10% thing. And she says, she's nine, Dad, shouldn't I give more because I'm the pastor's daughter? <laughs> shouldn't I give more because I'm the pastor's daughter? And I said, no, Casey. The standard is the same for everyone. You don't give more because you're the pastor's daughter. You don't give more because you make more. You don't give less because you make less. You're only responsible to figure out how much money is in that jar and to just give 10% of it. That's how it works. Now, the question for those of us pursuing God and his blessing, which I believe is everyone, why in the world do you show up on a, on a cold November day like this if you're not pursuing God, is, uh, isn't or shouldn't be today, um, should I or can I figure out how to tithe? But instead, the question should be, how can I, how can we, um, how can we begin to implement this into our lives? Um, and this is where faith meets finances. I haven't talked much about faith and finances yet. I've just talked about finances. But this, this is where faith meets finances, and that's what I'm going to talk about next week. Next week, I am going to blow your minds with what God has done in our church the, next, the last 30 to 45 days as we have entered this series. And God has told me, Christian, be gentle, go slow. Um, like some modern-day miracles that you're going to hear. Like you, if you don't trust me, you won't believe them. That's how radical the blessings have been. If you can't be here next week, watch it online because you're just going to think, that is insane what God is doing. But when faith meets finances, it's like really, really cool. Uh, but you say, what, what do I need to do this week? I've put some next steps on the bottom of your sermon notes for you. Um, here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. Every one of you who are pursuing God's blessing, trying to live your life according to God's word, trying to make the Christian thing happen, here, here's what I need you to do this week. Next step, number one. I need you to evaluate what 10% of God's blessing in your life amounts to. Now listen, some of you are going to evaluate that. You're going to start crying. <laughs> some of you are going to evaluate that. You're going to start laughing. Some might pass out. Some might get Tourette's and just start cursing madly that, you know, dear God, how could I ever do this? Just, I'm not asking you to do anything more than figure it up and write it down. Just know what it is. Secondly, um, I need you to decide this week whether you decide, uh, decide whether or not you believe and trust God's word in your life. In Acts chapter 17, one of my favorite verses is there. Paul would get up. The apostle Paul started a bunch of churches. He started one in a place called Berea. And here's what they would do in Berea. Paul would preach a message, and these guys knew the Bible really well. And after Paul's message, these guys would get together, and they would go study the Bible to see whether or not what Paul was saying was true. Smart Christians. Uh, Make sure that I'm not just blowing smoke, okay? Acts 17, 11. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So go, go fact check me. Find out what the 10% is. Find out if that's what the Bible says. Um, and then number three. And I want to give you a few more verses. So just stay with me. Um, commit to become a tither or commit to a plan that will help you in this lifetime 
become a tither. And here's what I mean by this. In Mark chapter 9, there's a dad whose son needed the desperate help of Jesus. And he asked Jesus, you know, can you, can, can you help my son? And Jesus says, what do you think? He's like, yes, I believe you can help me, but I'm still really worried about it. And he, he prayed this prayer in Mark chapter 9, 24. said, immediately the boy's father said, I believe, help me overcome my belief. Here's what I mean when I say commit to a plan. You say yes as far as you can, and, and then you say help. Yes, God, I in my lifetime will at some point commit to be a tither, but right now I need help. So yes, but help. Because I don't know how I'm going to do this. And then go slow. In Deuteronomy 7.22, when Israel, the Israel had conquered Canaan and they went in to take possession of the land, I think this is some of the best spiritual advice that could ever be given. It, uh, Moses said to the people in Deuteronomy 7.22, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You need to write those two words on your sermon notes, little by little. You won't be allowed to eliminate them all at once so the wild animals will multiply around you. Listen, some of you are going to get so spiritually excited that like today, you're like, where's the checkbook? Write a tithe. Listen, go slow. I'm not talking about a one-week one commitment. I'm not talking about a couple months. You figure out in your life how little by little you can commit to it. Maybe it's 3% one year, and then 6 the next, and then 9 the next. Maybe it's 2.5. But here's a good plan for you. When I say come up with a plan, here's, here's what I mean. And listen, if God's calling you to mix faith and finances and take the leap, take the leap. You won't regret it. That's what next week is about. But here's a good plan. Get a percentage goal. You know what 10% is? What's five? What's two? What's one? Figure out what you're giving um, and, and how to get where, you, where the Bible wants you to be. Um, start giving regular and, and systematic. So, um, you know, I'm just going to commit to a plan that this is, this is my offering. This is not what I'm giving away. This is what I'm giving back. Um, and then have some kind of timeline for tithing in two years, in three years, in five years, in, uh, by January. Figure out, like Joshua said, for you and your household, you're in charge. Figure it out and figure out how to get where the Bible wants you to be. Um, today's about processing and prayer. Okay, God, how do I do this? Next week, we're going to talk about where big faith meets big miracles. Um, and sometimes prayer and planning just say trust. And that's where we're going to try to get to next week. But I want to pray for all of you today as you process what, uh, what I've said. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we are grateful for your word. As Acts 7.22 says, we're thankful that anytime someone asks us, like, well, how much am I supposed to give? How, what am I supposed to do? How much am I supposed to read? What am I supposed to believe about this area in my life that we can practice biblical theology? We can say, what does the Bible say? And then we can find that. And God, little by little, we can adjust our life. God, I pray for the men and women in this room um, who are tithers, and there's a lot of them. And God, I just pray today that they'll be reminded, if nothing else, of the mindset that they tithe because of gratitude, of obedience, and trust. Because everything that they have, you've given to them. And because 90% with your blessing is better than 100% without it in this area. God, I pray for the men and women in here today who at one point in their life, they learned about tithing. They know what it is. Um, and God, right now, they're not doing it. And I pray that maybe you'll, you'll open their eyes and their hearts to where they might be struggling with gratitude or obedience or trust. Because, Lord, knowledge without application is, is uh, there's something lacking in one of those areas. So help them to connect those dots where 
gratitude, trust, and obedience is lacking. And then, God, for all those who are pretty new to church, to Christianity, to a, a biblical theology of giving, help them just to breathe deeply and slowly this week as they go away and maybe like the Bereans say, is this, is this really what the Bible says? Is this really what we should do? Um, here's the number. How in the world do we do that? And they ask you to give them a good plan to say yes as long as they can say yes and then to say help. Those are good prayers to combine. God, I pray that you'll be with our church as Journey Church International is on a faith journey as we keep giving away way before we have enough. As we keep giving away knowing that you've called us one day to have our own building or our own land or Lord, we know you've called us to stabilize this church at some point and God, it would be easier to do that like if we put the first 10 and 12% in savings rather they're giving it away. But God, we want to prove our gratitude, obedience, and trust to you as an organization, not just as individuals. And we can only pray that you'll bless that like you have like radically done in the last 45 days. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you give generously to us not only resources, but forgiveness, salvation, hope, change. And God, I just pray for the men and women in our church as we leave on this rainy Sunday morning that you'll stir something within our hearts that just rolls this truth around all week in our head. We study the Bible and we just figure out how we're going to move forward together because we're in pursuit of your blessing. God, we love you. We need you just like we need you in our marriages and in our parenting and in our jobs and in our habits and in our attitudes. We need you in our lives to guide us financially. So thank you for the way you've done that the last three weeks. We love you. We commit these things to you today. And we do it in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Take your connection.